Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome. So good morning, everyone. Um, so following God's will for me, I have a, a little correction. She said 10 years, I'm a little older than that, 30 years <laughs> working in uh, four business um, environments, and, and those were some of them. Um, I just want to start by saying that this is just such an honor for me to be here. I'm new to the North Central family, as you heard. Um, worship is a little emotional. I cry every day at my job. That's something I never did when I worked for for-profit organizations. Uh, but I always like to tell people, if we are the body of Christ, I'm the tear duct, because it's just gonna happen. So, um, so as you've heard, for the uh, past few years, I've been uh, so privileged to serve as part of the leadership team at Minnesota Dalton Teen Challenge. And I just wanna do a quick introduction of that organization, because addiction in this day and age is something that affects every single one of us. I used to tell people, uh, when you know, um, when you know of somebody that needs help, think of us, but uh, now I just tell them, you know somebody, so think of us, we wanna help them. Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge is part of the largest faith-based drug and alcohol treatment um, and recovery program in the world. Um, it's, there are Teen Challenge organizations in 110 countries around the globe, about 1,400 centers globally, and in the United States there are over 200 centers. In Minnesota, we're actually blessed to have one of the larger ones. Well, blessed, it's double-edged. You know, there's such a significant need, but we're blessed to be able to help as many people as we do. Uh, we have 11 locations throughout the state in Duluth, Brainerd, Rochester, a number of programs in Minneapolis, and then a teen boys uh, program out in the Buffalo, St. Michael area. So if and when you have need for knowing more about that, you are a loved one, I hope you'll reach out to me. Um, before joining Teen Challenge, I, I did spend 30 years or so, 30, not 10, but thank you for that, I appreciate it. Um, some of the companies I worked for, you, you heard. So um, my most recent role was at Schwann Food Company, but I worked with General Mills, uh, United Healthcare. And the only reason I'm mentioning some of those names is because they're gonna help me make a point a little bit later on. Um, throughout my career working in secular business environments, I was asked on a pretty regular basis, how do you combine your faith and work? Like, how do you do that? And um, I, was, I was thinking about that in um, preparing for today because one of the last times I was asked that question was actually by a young woman named Karis, who was a business student at North Central, and she was my intern at the time at the Schwann Food Company. And um, you know what she was kind of wrestling with at the time is she, her heart was for the Lord and she just wanted to, she was really wrestling with do I pursue a full-time uh, Christian ministry career or do I really you know, follow my skills and my interests and go into business? And you know, I, I understood that feeling and maybe some of you can relate to it too. So that's really what I'd like to talk about today. Um, is this, is a business career one that serves the Lord? Can it be? And more importantly, how can it be? Because when we consider all the choices we have about where to spend our time and to build our careers, does choosing business instead of full-time Christian ministry somehow imply that we're turning down the volume of our faith and not fully serving our Lord and Savior? Um, I'm just gonna... Uh, what do they call it when you give the end result? The answer is no. Spoiler alert. But, but some of the, the people in this room may have been troubled also by a vision of standing before God someday 
And instead of him looking at you and saying, well done, good and faithful servant, which we all want to hear, instead he'll say to you, well, you did okay. You know, it's not good enough. So maybe you can relate to fearing at some level that you're missing God's call for your life if you pursue a business career in accounting or entrepreneurship or management. And as Christians, we all desire to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. It's what we want. We want to do His will in all aspects of our lives, in the daily choices we make and in in the bigger decisions that we have to make in life. And what's great is Scripture gives us really clear guidance about the moral decisions that we're to make as God's sons and daughters. And we've got the Ten Commandments, we've got the Sermon on the Mount, and we have instruction from the Bible as, how, as to how we're to live our lives so to be the salt and light in the world, glorifying God with our lives. But the Bible doesn't give us good career advice. Nowhere in scripture are you gonna find a verse that specifies whether you should become an accountant or a sports manager or a missionary. And nor will you find detailed instructions on how to choose a career when you have so many opportunities. But God did tell us about the impact he wants us to make in the world as his sons and daughters, right? And as I was preparing preparing for this discussion and just praying for God's wisdom and guidance, one of the things that just kept popping up in my head was a a verse from the Gospel of Mark. Um, And it was really Jesus' commissioning of his disciples. So this is uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, and just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he commissioned his disciples saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And that is such a powerful directive, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. But what does it really mean? Did Jesus intend for his disciples to travel together as a group, to talk with every person they encountered in Judea or the Roman Empire, and to tell them how Christ was born, died, and was risen to save us all? When Christ said, go into the world, go into all the world, the disciples did not stay together. They split up. Each went in a separate direction and had his own path and territory marked for him. Jesus did not intend for his disciples to stay together and travel in mass. He knew they would be far more effective and reach more people by taking different paths, filling different spaces, finding different places to dwell, and encountering people um, with whom to share, different people with whom to share the good news. And as the world grew, we came to understand that Jesus' command was not limited to the 11. No, Jesus commissioned not only the apostles of the day, but all ministers of the gospel in every age to the end of the world, including everybody in this room, right? The Lord knows we'll pursue different paths and move in different directions. He already gave us different skills and interests. This was his plan for us. He designed us, in us, an ability to reach more people and to preach the gospel wherever we're planted. Amen. So let, let, you know, when you feel little things of joy like that, just let it spill out. It's good. Amen. Amen. Right? So let's talk about preaching. So Jesus told his disciples, preach the gospel. So generally, I've thought about preaching as sharing a sermon. Um, But then I started wondering, did Jesus literally mean he wanted the disciples to just talk? Um, Speaking words? Did he intend for his disciples to tell and retell the story of his life, death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven? I think so, yes, but that's only a a part of it. Would Jesus have been satisfied with the disciples if they told everyone of the good news, but nothing else happened? 
What if people heard the good news and then decided to make no changes to their lives? And what if the disciples' words, our words, fell on deaf ears and no one was swayed to come to the Lord? Can you imagine? I wrote down epic failure on my sheet here, epic failure. When Jesus directed us to preach, what he really wanted was for us to not just talk the talk, but he wanted people around us to be so moved by the good news that they would be profoundly influenced, so much so that they would desire to have a personal relationship with Christ. And that's the crux of it, right? Because Jesus wants people to not only hear the good news, but he wants them to be baptized and to have a relationship with him and to believe in him so they too can be saved, right? Amen. So how? How does one create that type of profound influence in others? How can each of us make such strong and positive impressions in someone that we're able to impact her, his or her heart and mind? How do we make such a powerful connection with another that they come to Jesus as a believer? Does coercion work? Fear? Shame? Can we argue with them until they relent and say they believe? I don't think that's the way, and that's not what Christ showed us either. So let's talk about how we do influence others. Let's start with communication. Now this is the one slide that has a statistic. I'm a business person, I had to give you one slide with statistics. So studies show that only 7% of our communication is verbal. The other 93% is made up of our body language and the tone of our voice. So just think about that. So body language and tone of voice, 93% of communication. So to be effective in influencing others in a big way, for them to get the full effect of the message we want them to get, people have to see us and they have to be able to interpret our expressions, our gestures, and our vocal cues about what's important and joyful and exciting and what's not. Perhaps this is why the adage, preach the gospel, and if you must, use words, is so relevant. To truly influence others, it's not about our words alone. People watch and they learn through observation. Actions are more important than words. We've all heard it all our life, right? And the other thing that's important is repetition. When we are learning something new, repetition is essential. Just think about something that you've learned while you've been a student here in your life. Did it take, it's something important, did it take just one time hearing it, seeing it, or practicing it for you to adopt it as a new skill or a belief? No, learning takes repeated exposure. It's a process, it takes time. Jesus spent three years with his disciples and they were still asking questions. So let's talk about all creation and go back to that Bible verse. Jesus wasn't simply commanding his disciples to save the people who were living at the time. Throughout the gospel, we've learned that Jesus' intent was to be the savior for all mankind. So what Christ commanded his disciples and what he commands each of us still is to share the good news through our words and our actions and our deeds no matter where we're planted. God designed each of us uniquely with distinct skills, gifts, and talents so we could spread out, do different things, pursue our passions, but wherever we are, we are charged with using those gifts and living out our Christian faith so that others see, hear, and can believe. But it's going to take time, it's gonna take repetition. God wants and expects us to go in different directions because we're gonna reach more people if we spread out. He already knows where we're gonna be. 
He's got a plan for each of us. He's, he's got this. And don't get me wrong, full-time Christian ministry work is so beautiful and rewarding, and it's so important, but there are mission fields everywhere, and they're all around us. So this is a mission field. Make no mistake, this is a mission field. This is a mission field. Here's another one. Here's one more. Wherever you are planted, it it is perspective, it's what you carry around in your heart and it's what you know as Christians, you are in a mission field. So as I think back about my career and what I'm doing now and what God had planned for me, I couldn't have determined this path. I had no idea that this was the path that he planned for me. But when I look back now on my career, I am so aware of how God loaded me up with different skills and talents and abilities. I could not do the job I do today if I had not spent all those years building up my skills and training. Um, And sometimes I think it's also important to recognize that we don't see God's full picture. And that's really become important to me because we don't always know the part that God has us playing in somebody else's life. We may not see immediate impact of our influence and we may not ever know that we had a hand in bringing somebody to Jesus. That might not be ours to know. But there are some very practical things we can do to live out our faith in business and in any work environment that we're in and and do them knowing that people are listening and observing and soaking up the good news as they interact with us. So I'm gonna go through six things that I kind of prayed about and these were the six things that really rose to the top for me. And the first thing is just simply be joyful. Be joyful. We can't be happy all the time, nobody can. But joy transcends, transcends emotion. It's rooted in the hope we have in Christ and in the knowledge that his faithfulness is constant and enduring. Within that context, we're able to better live in the present moment and let go of those anxieties that come from focusing too much on the past or on the future. Each of us can think, if you just spend a moment, think of somebody right now who exemplifies joy in your life and think about how you're drawn to that person and to that quality in them. You wish to spend more time with people. So our opportunity is to be joyful and to draw people to us so that they can see how our faith in God has us rooted. And I have a coworker, I have a lot of coworkers who exemplify this, but uh, one woman in particular just crossed my mind uh, just when I was preparing for this, but her name is Taylor and she is so gracious and she does such a great job encouraging everybody around her just in her everyday routine interactions. She radiates a natural cheerfulness and it's not forced, it just springs out of her true faithfulness. And I always come away from my interactions with Taylor just feeling so good and so grateful that she's part of my team. Number two is just to strive for excellence. Who do you work for? Ultimately, it's not a company, a boss, or even your family. We all work for the Lord. So that carries with it a big responsibility. We should always do our best. Consider a moment, the hidden life of Jesus as a carpenter. Scripture doesn't tell us a lot about this time in his life, um, of course, but I would imagine that Jesus was really well known for his great carpentry, and I can't imagine him producing anything shoddy. Can you, anybody? Nah, uh uh-uh. Our work's gonna involve trade-offs. We shouldn't always strive for perfection. I think we struggle with that sometime, but we can do our, excuse me, we can do our best We're able to work with intensity and give our very best efforts to the task at hand and to pray that the Lord will bless and sanctify our work. 
one quick pause here. Okay, number three is to support others. This is huge. If your work involves other people, and whose doesn't, there are always gonna be people around you experiencing difficulties, and you may know it and you may not. And even though we can't fix everything, we can always be a source of encouragement for others, and, and we can do things for them quietly and unobtrusively, not because we want to get any glory, but just because we know it's the right thing to do to support other people. And it can be as simple as giving them an understanding smile or listening patiently. Maybe it's just taking a few minutes out from a busy day to just let them talk to you. Give them an encouraging word. Um, I had a colleague a while back who was really experiencing some tough financial hardship, and on top of everything else, her kids had lice, and her house had fleas, and she was a mess. She felt like she was the worst mom in the world. She was taking it so personally. Um, they live in the country, you know, just, it, was, it was just a mess for her. And, she, and I just felt my heart broke for her because she didn't have the money to have her house professionally cleaned. She was just beating herself up, and that was something that would just became my privilege to help her out with that. It was a minor crisis. It wasn't a big deal for me. It meant the world to her. So Jesus tells us in Matthew, Chapter 10, verse eight, without cost you have received, without cost you are to give. Small sacrifices for others, particularly those in need, demonstrate our genuine love for the Lord and for them, demonstrate it. The next one is to forgive. If you're interested in workplace ministry, and we all are, there are few ways more authentic than through forgiveness. When there are difficult relationships we face at work or at school, it's often a challenge to see Christ within others. Yet if we accept this as a challenge and pray for the other individual and commit to treating him or her with courtesy and respect, even the most difficult relationships, they can come around. Forgiveness is frequently necessary in the workplace, and as Christians, we need to ask for it and receive it. The words, I'm sorry, are among the most powerful we can use. When it's our turn to forgive, we're called to do it from the heart. And it's hard, right? It's really hard to own it sometimes and say I'm sorry. It's powerful. It, it just, it rocks people's world. How do you feel when somebody says they're sorry to you and they own it and they say I'm sorry, right? It, it melts you. The next one is to be humble. This is number five. There are no limits. I tried to think of some. There are no limits to the benefits of humility in the workplace. Um, one example is just working in teams. We all work in teams, and if we want strong teams, we need to play off the strengths of others rather than their weaknesses. And guess what? That requires vulnerability and humility because in doing that, we're recognizing that our own skill sets uh, may not be, be the be-all and end-all. We're lacking some things too. We need other people to fill us in. Part of humility is also being vulnerable. My favorite part of our leadership team meetings where we work now is that we start our meetings by going around the table and all talking about what's happening in our personal lives, including our challenges. Everyone shares what's going on. And it's a really good way of just creating cohesion because it, we all understand each other, we get to know each other a little bit more, and then our relationships are built on mutual trust. And that, that's really an important part of humility. And then finally, share the praise. You know, um, I've had some students in my class, as we've gone through, strength finders even not want to own their skills, not want to own their strengths because they're afraid that it's not showing humility. 
God gave us those gifts and skills, and it's okay to acknowledge them, but share the praise. Accept the compliment, but share the praise, and remember to give God the glory. It's his glory, not our glory, right? And then finally, pray. And perhaps this is the most important thing that we can do for people um, at work. And pray for wisdom, for guidance, for leadership, for cohesiveness. Pray for strong um, leadership and collaboration. And pray for miracles. In my job today, I, I've never, I'm so blown away. My faith has been so exponentially, you know, just it's grown so much in the last three years because I get to see miracles every day that spring forth from prayer. And, um, you know, maybe I'll come back someday and share some of those miracles because I, I mean, that's going to make you cry. It's going to make me cry too. So um, I'm just about done here, but in closing, I just really want to stress this. It's just so, so important to just recognize that you are God's handiwork. He created your inmost being. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, just the way you are. And you've been given work-related gifts that have been chosen specifically for you. And God desires for you to use the gifts he's given you so that you, all of us, like the disciples before us, can go with confidence out into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Thank you. God bless you. I do want to come up and pray. We ended a little early. No, you're good. Let me pray. Okay. Wasn't that amazing? Yeah.